I landed to uh, Saul de Gaulle. First time mm-hmm. to be on the train, uh, on a train. First time to be in an airplane. First time to see all those things. And I didn't have nobody in France to wait for me. Yeah, for I was about to ask. So yeah, you yeah. were going to France. I mean, you had no yeah. contact there. So where no were you contact. headed? When I get to to Paris, I called one of the cousins I knew who was in Guinea, and he mentioned he knows someone in France. And I called that. He gave me the contact of that person. Is the person I was calling to guide me how to go from Salle de Gaulle to the gar station to the train station where I had to take my train to the place I was supposed to go. This is the University of Bonn. I arrived to that city. It was like uh, 12 a.m. and everything was closed. I asked. I was outside the train station, thinking how can I get a place to stay. I went to the hotel, which was close there, and they tell me like mm-hmm. 60 something euro a night, and I decided just to come, just sleep uh, in front of the train station. Everyone is a stranger until you know their story. The Power of Good Intentions is a show about people, their stories, challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. This show is here to remind you that there is always a path forward and that good things happen to people who have a good heart. I am Aliou Sidibe, and I am your host. Hey, it's Aliou, and I just want to take a moment to say how much I appreciate you for listening to the show. If you find the podcast inspiring, interesting, motivating, or heartwarming, if there is one person, maybe a friend or family member who you think will appreciate the show, Please take a moment and share it with them because sharing is caring and good stories are meant to be shared. Sometimes you have to believe even when there is no hope. You have to see even if you are blinded by your challenges and you have to trust even when there is no certainty. Today's guest, Cherno Jalo, had to overcome challenges that seemed too great to overcome. Shortly after he was born, his mother passed away and he was only six months old and she passed away due to complications for breast cancer. His father was never in the picture, so he ended up being raised by his grandmother. They were so poor that they had to grow their own food. Chano was not able to afford a desk at school, so he had to sit on the floor. And to give you context, he was born in Guinea, West Africa, which is one of the poorest countries in the world, with 55% of the people living below uh, the poverty line. But something that is amazing with Chano's story is that although this was the life he was brought into, he knew that this was not the end of it, and he knew that through a belief in a better tomorrow, through hard work and dedication, he was going to be able to turn his life around. He had no certainty that this was going to happen, but he just had faith in a better tomorrow. And eventually, thanks to the power of good intentions, he was able to turn his life around. And today, he is a data scientist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Today, we talk about some of the principles he used to get to where he is, his life story, as well as what is next for him. Cherno, thank you so much for being with me here today on the podcast. I want you to ask you if you can 
please take us back to your early childhood and memories of growing up in Guinea. And I want to learn about the environment you grew up in and how that shaped you early on. Oh, thank you, uh, Aleo. And uh, I just want to just start by uh, making a little background about where my life started. And, uh, and then from there, I uh, was born in a little village in Guinea. As soon as I was born, my mom was diagnosed with uh, some breast cancer and she passed away when I was six months. But my mom was the only child of her mom who was uh, a co-spouse of my grandfather who had four wives. As you know, in those families, when you lose your only child, people can put every, like, uh, surnames on you. Some people mm -hmm. consider her as a, a sorcerer, that she was the one who, you know, did something to her daughter. And uh, I was the last one born from my mom and uh, all the love that my grandma had for my mom, she put it on me. And growing up, my older brother become alcoholic. One thing that I remember growing up most of the time, my grandma didn't know exactly what she wanted me to be, but she knew what she didn't want me to be, like my born alcoholic. And we was in a little village now, the only daughter she had had passed away. I was very lucky and to go to school by accident because my mom, my grandma didn't have all the resources to take me to school. I followed some of my cousin to school. I still remember my first year in an elementary school because I didn't pay a table. I had to sit on the floor and my name wasn't on the list. Wow. And uh, I, uh, that's where I studied my school and uh, was hard. I started taking care of myself when I was uh, on third grade. I started going, collecting stick, sell to people to get my books and, you know, and one of uh, the things I struggled the most was to hide my grandma, all my troubles, because uh, every time she showed me in need, I show like uh, she was very concerned about me and I did all I can to get things I want on my own without help seeing the need on me. And So anytime uh, you, you, you needed something, you would make sure that she didn't know about it. So yes, I tried to. You didn't it. want her to be concerned? Yeah. For example, you know, like in Africa, I remember when I was like on uh, uh, seventh grade and mm -hmm. those uh, fila choose comes, kid, everybody had them. They used to cost like something two dollars of our currency. But I had to go fight, sell on matches on markets, collect and save the money until I get myself the pair of shoes because I didn't want her to know that I needed and concern, things like that. Oh, wow. Uh, I remember like uh, when on the vacation, because most of the kids had someone who buy them books and stuff, I would go on farms, help people doing their farm work, collect some money to get my books, get my uniform. And, you know, that was a very and tough. You, you mentioned that you were collecting sticks to like sell them to in order to kind of buy your books. Were you doing that during all your elementary school and high school? Yeah, I started like uh, really taking uh, buying myself when I was in third grade. Since then to now, I figured out my ways of uh, going through. 
But you know, in life, like uh, one thing I learned throughout all those calls, uh, struggles, when you on the on the on the road on your journey, you meet people who help you. You know, sometimes they give you a head, someone give you like a dollar, someone give you like this. You know, people sometimes they support you randomly. You know, but. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you were raised by your grandmother. Have you ever had the chance to meet your dad? I met my dad when I was like 12 years. And because when my mom passed away, my dad let all, left us with my grandma and went and he had a wife and other family in another city. And I really didn't know him until when I was, uh, I think, uh, 12, 13 years, and I met him briefly. And he wasn't part of my life, you know, when I was growing up. Where was all of this taking place, by the way? Uh, so you mentioned oh. that it was a small oh. village in Guinea. So yeah, I, I guess, is, that, yeah, what village is, uh, was that? It's a Budliwell, it's a village in Mamu, 200 miles up from Conakry, the capital of Guinea. It's in mm-hmm. the foot of Jalon, and was a small town, you know, and uh, I remember, like uh, we, like the town, the center of the town had just one class by uh, post grade by year, and mm-hmm. that year was full, and you had to pay for the tables and something. At that time, was a thousand of our currency, is just like uh, 25 cents, but I couldn't afford to buy pay that. But you know, I. Some of my cousins was registered and I followed them for like a few months and then I end up being registered in the class. Wow. And I remember, so you and I met at an event at the Malian Student and Professional Association that we hosted. And from there, I noticed that your passion and drive to give back. And it seems that you are very passionate about education. And it seems like education was actually the only thing that allowed you to kind of move forward in life. So can you kind of take us back to starting in that village and then did you ever move to Conakry or did you, what happened after you graduated from high school? Yeah, like uh, uh, I think, uh, as I said, one of the chance I had early was to fall in love with math. When I was in elementary school, I became very good in calculus. They call their calcul mental. And uh, I used to answer all the questions on math, and the teachers loved that I answered everything. And that gave me courage to always come back to school. But when I uh, was in eighth grade, you know, when adolescence started, we started uh, fighting and a lot of stuff started going on, and I dropped in school. And when I dropped, and my grandma spoke to one of the guy I used to hang up a lot. And she told him, oh, tell this guy, I don't want him to drop off. I always want him to be the best. And I think the only way for him to be good if he goes to school. And that friend one day called me, my grandma was there crying. And I remember that night she cried and I tell my friend, I promised her that, oh, don't cry, I will follow and I will follow what you saying. And that night, and I came back to that friend, we stayed the night and I decided I have to go to big cities 
to study. And I packed my bag and decided to leave the village. That's when I left the village. I came to a, another big city called Kindia, which is close to Conakry. And I had a, a uncle, I came to his house. Unfortunately, he didn't have a place for me to stay. And I stayed in the city and one of the, my cousins heard that I was rejected by that uncle, that I'm very passionate for, about learning. And he called me, he called someone who knew where I was and asked me to come to his house. I came, he told me, if you want, if you are, want to just study, you can stay in my house. And, but if not, you know, stay. And I stay in his house with the condition that I will go to school. And I studied there. I went that year, I was the second, ranked second in my class, ninth grade, and 10th grade did the same in Kindia. And after my 10th grade, that cousin was affected to Conakry to work, and we moved together to Conakry. And I came to Conakry and keep And rolling. Conakry is the, the capital of Guinea, the capital for those city, listening. Yes. yes. Okay. But when I was in Kindia and Conakry, because I had like a advanced level in math, I studied tutoring people, like uh, kids in their houses, getting paid. In Conakry and Kindia, most of the money I made was through tutoring kids in math. And so after high school, what happened next? Did you go to university in Guinea? Uh, what happened? One of the toughest part, like a uh, year of my life, was my last year in high school. You know, we have the baccalaureate that every student do. One of my goal was to rank top 50 and get a scholarship to go to Morocco. But on, on March 2005, my grandma got sick and she said that she just wanna see me in the village. And they called my cousin where I lived and they asked me to go. And I went there for a few weeks, come back, and a few days later, she passed away. And uh, wow. over there, my life was uh, like uh, changed, you know, especially, you know, in, in our countries, when you have some sadness, they don't try to help you or to talk to you. You became your own. I became mm -hmm. very aggressive, very, you know, I'm, I, there was time I asked why me, why, you know, like that's the only person I had in my life, you know, I uh, did the, the exam. I didn't rank 50. I rank, uh, I think, 200 something. And uh, they have the competition to go to university. I won that. And also I apply for uh, universities in France. And uh, luckily I was admitted to a university in France and I applied for the visa and I got the visa. It was like one of the toughest moments of my life, you know, is uh, that's the the time also I wanted to give up everything because I used to look out people and say, why me? Like see people just get mad at them and, you know, why me? Why me? What did I do? You know, and you know, but, were you, know, you in touch with with your you mentioned that you had an older brother. Were you in touch with him when that happened or you've yeah. never really been in no, touch we, with him in your life? We, been always in touch but you know he was those guy was alcoholic and they wasn't doing good you know and they couldn't help even they wanted but you know and so 
thankfully you you were able to land a scholarship to Athene University in France despite uh, your grandmother passing and having a hard time with that. So then you moved to France and what year was that? 2005? Uh, 2006. 2006. Okay. And yeah. what happens next? That's also I remember, uh, in France, like before France, you know how the cooperation, the the French Af the French African cooperation works, is you go to university, uh, you apply for a university with your grades, they accept your uh, your uh, they accept you, and you have to submit a proof that someone will support you. I had that. Uh, admission and I was trying just to look at people to put to do that support paper for me and luckily uh, I met a guy explained him my situation and he was very helpful and he said okay if he's just to make the attestation for you I can give you the attestation of support and he put that attestation I get the visa and, and after where did you meet this guy uh, he is from my village. He was one of the successful guys from my village. And okay. uh, but you, but you know how things works in Africa. If they don't, you know, not everyone help you when you are in the unfortunate like side. You know, you know. But that guy, when I came to him with my uh, admission and tell him my story, and he was very comprehensive. He said, "Okay, I will do the the attestation of support for you." And I took that to the, get the visa. After I get the visa, I took, uh, I have a cousin, extensive cousin who is in Norway. I called her. I told her, okay, look at this. I got the visa. I got everything I want. Please, you to lend me $1,000 for my fare, and I will pay you as soon as I get it. And she said. And you mentioned your cousin was in Norway? Norway, yes. And she lent me $1,000. And that's how I... I, in that thousand dollars, I took uh, 200, I bought some clothes, I bought my tickets for 600, and I just have like uh, something like 200 left. And one of my friend in school mom gave me 100 euro at that time, and I came to France. And thinking that, you know, when you are in Africa, you think when you get to Europe, everything is good. <laughs> Who was in Guinea, and he mentioned he knows someone in France. And I, call that he gave me the contact of that person is the person I was calling to guide me how to go from Salt de Gaulle to the car station to the train station where I had to take my train to the place I was supposed to go this is the University of Moore. I arrived to that city it was like uh, 12 a.m. and everything was closed I asked I was outside the train station thinking how can I get a place to stay? I went to the hotel, which was close there, and they tell me like mm -hmm. 60 something euro a night. And I decided just to come, just sleep uh, in front of the train station. That's when I uh, wow. I, saw, I saw a guy from Senegal. As soon as I see him, I say, okay, this is a black guy and I can ask him. I went to him and asked him if he know a Guinean in the city. He said, yes. And he is in a campus, you know, someone called Lamine. And we took the number of Lamine. He called, oh, I saw here a Guinean guy. He just got here. He doesn't know anyone. And Lamine, they call, he called Lamine. Lamine said, oh, the, the, the last, the last boss to come here already stopped. But 
you know, the guy say, hey, I can take a taxi and take him there if you want. We say, okay, bring him. And wow. Uh, and you just met the Senegalese guy in the street? Yeah, yeah, just, with, like, yeah, just right there. He was coming from work late. That's what around mm -hmm. 1 a.m. And he took me to Lamine. And Lamine became one of my uh, best friends. And I stayed in his house for two months. And he helped me a lot, you know. And I studied classes and, you know, you know, when you go out, you see like people now come to your life and to help you, you know. And this is amazing. Yeah, we studied in France when after few what after a month they there is a there is an organization in france called uh, uh, secours populaire and mm -hmm. we went there they became our family they help us for the inscription in school they help us for paying for our uh, you know uh, the tuition uh, the, the tuition but in france you know tuition is not expensive you pay just like was like uh, 300 a year but mm -hmm. like especially the housing on the campus was a little bit expensive but you know that's how the struggles went there but everything was good and now so you're in france you meet lamine and you studied there for how many years i stayed there for almost four years four years yeah. okay and after the end of the four years that's when you decided to move to new york city or did you go back to guinea first yeah i didn't go back to guinea and you know in my uh throughout those years i met a girl and we was uh, i felt in love with her we she was very helpful to me and one of her sister was came to america and was playing those uh, DV, uh those dv lottery and put my name on the dv lottery and uh i for the green card yeah for the green card and I was selected. This wow. is how, and that year, 2009, I uh, I successfully get my license, uh, what they call that, the, it's like a bachelor in, in, in France. And I was also admitted to what they call the Grand École, and it's like an engineering school. At the same time, I was selected to for that green card already. And, you know, and I when I apply for the visa, I get the visa now. I had to make the choice, go to America or go to your dream school, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you ask your African friend, you know what they will tell you, you know, go to America, go to America. <laughs> I finally, you know, <laughs> want to go to the engineering school, but I say, okay, let's listen to the guy. And I came to America in 2010. Okay, 2010. Yeah. And so when you came to America, so you didn't apply to school in the in the U.S., right? So you came, no. you had... You just had the green card, so you had yeah. really no reason to come here beside your green card. No. So what did you do when you came to the U.S.? You know, when I came to the U.S., it was very little bit different than when I went to France because before did you speak I... English, by the way. No, and but it was different because I had some savings because when I was in France, my last years I was uh, hired at the the school I worked as a, a, a math teacher in the school. And I was working also in some, I was doing some dishwash work and some restaurant. I saved some, you know, when I get here, I had some money. But okay. when I came here and I realized that uh, to be here 
and do something you had to speak English. And I didn't speak English. I started to go to uh, Sobro. There is a school in the Bronx here called Sobro for English ESL class. I went there for a few months and I realized that that wasn't the type of English I need. And I went to... Uh, what, what do you mean the type of English? Because it's more we was in like more with people who you was just trying to speak English. I wanted to get the academic English, not just to know how to Got write you. it, you know. Got you. And I went to a private ALC. ALCC is a uh, private school in downtown. And I spent there like a year. And uh, But uh, during that time, uh, I started working. I uh, started with the Papa John pizza delivery guys in Manhattan. And then saw a friend in Central Park who was doing riding those pedicab, and the guy told me, "Oh, come here. If here you can make money, and if you want to really do something, you can do what you want." That's when I started can, doing pedicab. Can you describe what a pedicab is for those oh, who, pe- who may not know? A pedicab is a tricycle bike in Central Park where you carry people throughout the pedal through the park to show tourists and explain them things about the park. Is uh, they're very popular by the south of the Central Park around 59th Street. If you go on Seventh Avenue, Columbus Circle, you see them a lot of them there. Just to understand, so like at this point of your life, you graduated from school in Paris. You had the chance to go to one of your dream school, and you also had a chance to go to the U.S. But so you you eventually chose to come to the U.S. and now you're taking English, uh, English as your second language, you learn the language, yeah. and you're working for Papa Jones and then working as a pedicab. Yes. And so at this one, what were uh, some of the things you wanted to achieve? What did you decide to do? You know, uh, when I started in Central Park, I started making some money. And I said to myself, let me do business. And, you know, I started doing some businesses in Guinea. But they all failed. And I remember there was a time where I sat down and told myself that it's like I'm failing my mission. When I left Guinea, my mission was to get a degree and help as much as I can. And I was here now. I didn't have that dream degree. I was uh, I didn't went to that school in France. And I was seeing my friend now. They're all engineers and stuff. And I tell myself, no, I have to get a degree in America here. That when I remember one day I was in uh, in Central Park, thinking a lot that day, and I just go to uh, 42nd, translate all my papers and submit my application in Guinea. And that's when I said, okay, I have to get this. And for the follow the year that followed, I walked in Central Park all day and went to school every night. And so you did that for how many years? You Did you have to complete the four years for your bachelor's or did you already yeah. have some credits that transferred? Yeah, they, they gave me some like a 40, some 40, I think 43 credit they gave me and I mm-hmm. had to complete the other credits to get my bachelor. But you know, what, what took me longest is to learn English. Because uh, you know, in CUNY when you put the, when you apply, you have to, pass the CAD, the, the exams, the assessment on writing. And I failed it two times and went back to CLIP. And 
I won it on the third time, on third try. But when I went to school, it was easy. I was taking Rosh. I was taking 19 credit a semester, and I completed in two years. So you do that for two years. You're working at Central Park during the day. Then you're going to school at night. Yeah. I guess there were days where you wanted to give up and like, were you ever going back to Guinea at that time for vacation or anything? And yeah. those days yeah, like, when you, you felt tired, what helped you kind of like deal with your challenges? You know, like uh, my grandma was a big, every time I think about her and I forget all my troubles goes because that woman was someone who lost everything, lost her husband, her only daughter, and was very poor. But I never, ever see her giving up. When growing up, we used to go on her farm. She used to walk by her hands. And also, I've seen her a lot of time taking the only things she has and give to people. And she always, one you know, one day I came to my grandma because people tell that she was the one who did bad to her, to my mom. That's why she passed away. I was playing with one of my friends as kids. She said, oh, get out there. You know, like your, your grandma is a sorcerer. You know what a sorcerer is, you know. Like a witch? Uh, a witch, like a sorcerer, okay. You know, she she's the one who uh, ate your mom. And I run to her and I tell, oh, my, uh, grandma. Uh, I call her mom, I didn't tell her grandma. You know, my friend told me this. I remember she hold my two hands, tell me, Mure, what do you think? If you don't have nothing, what do you think people will do? She took, like she said, when you go to a, to a place like a, you want to jump, you look at where the font is lowest, that's where you jump. Meaning that people, it's easy to blame the the people, like the the people who is in bad condition, bad state, you know. And she told me, people will always say what they want in you, but you, it's up to you to believe what you want. And she said, your mom was everything I wanted, I had. If I can, like, give up, if I can willingly give up the only thing I have, that's mean, it's my business. No. Talk to me like that. And I, I understood. And I never asked her again. And So you, you were using some of your grandmother's early teaching to kind yeah. of help you during your challenges? Yeah, to all my challenges, and every time I think about how she, like, think about her, and how I've seen her happy throughout most of her life, and I think I don't have any reason to to be mad or, or to give up. Wow. And so today you're working as a data scientist in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and how did you feel when you got that job? Was it a feeling of relief? To me, it was like uh, I felt lucky and thankful to all the people from the teacher who accepted to register me in the first grade to the people who helped me, to my cousin who heard that I wanted to study and called me without me asking him. 
to the people in France who helped me for the sake of helping to those organizations, to the people here uh, when I was going to school to my mentor. To me, I thought those people, you know, was sent to help me to get to that place. That's why my first salary as an employee in at the at the Fed, I gave it to the school of my village. And I that year I, I sent that money to pay all the all the teachers in the school because I thought that those people who helped me, some of them I will never have the chance to see them again. You know, I owe them, you know. I thought like that. Wow. I was very proud of, you know, even making it because it's a long way and uh, there was uh, there was a lot, lot of downs and ups, but you know, overall, if I look back, you know, to me is a uh, something big that I achieved. Wow. And I, I would now like to learn a bit about uh, the computer lab that you opened in your native uh, village in Guinea. What helped you make that decision? I opened it in Conakry, uh, but like the decision, you know, I all the time throughout all my things, I believe in helping. I've seen my grandma helping people, giving them the only things she had. Okay, to me, when you help people, especially when you help people get education, you helping them to change their life. Education changed my life. Today, I uh, I can say that. I'm better in any measure you take than I was a few years ago, or, and it's been increasing like that be, due to education. And I always, when I went back to Guinea uh, in 2017, I went to a school, uh, computer school. Kids doesn't have computers. You say someone who has a degree in computer science, but he doesn't know how to program. That's why I said, okay, let me open this uh, lab. Even if I get 10 students every year that I teach how to code, really know how to code, every year if I can achieve that, you know, those people can, their life may be changed. And that's the things I want to do. And I think yeah. for me, that's the way to give back to those, all those people who helped me throughout this journey. Because I, I received a lot of helps from random people, you know. And they didn't do something to me to just uh, get paid or because they want something from me. They helped me when I needed without thinking, you know. And I know being in need, I think everybody's intelligent. When you give people the power to learn, you discover the truth of them. And to me, helping people learn is uh, helping them redefine themselves. I love it. I love it. This is amazing. And so now that you are working on this computer lab and you're also working as a data scientist, I want to learn, you know, what is next for you? What are some of your uh, life goals and and your mission? One of my uh, short-term goal was to get a master's degree. I'm taking a master's classes right now. And the other mission is to try to be the best in that field, you know, one of the best in that in the field of data science, and also help mentor some African kids, especially the kid that remind me who I was 
because I know it's hard to be in that position and help them also see the, there is opportunities in this life. And, you know, that's my, my goals and for now. And, you know, I have two daughters and, and also try to help those get the best education they can have. Hmm. I mean, thank you very much, Jarno. Uh, you're an example of what I like to call a human being with a good heart. And I'm very excited for all the success you've earned. I think that people who have good intentions and, you know, people who are good at heart, no matter what they do, no matter what challenges they face, God always finds a way to kind of reward them. And I would like to thank you for being part of this show. And I want to ask you, Uh, if anyone from the audience wants to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you? They can, I have my link in Cherno Jalo and or they can uh, go through your channel mm-hmm. and uh, I'm also on Facebook and uh, I also go to most of the African community events because I think going back to the community and speaking to the community because sometimes when you are in those challenges you don't if you don't listen you think you are the only one who is in those uh, part sometimes it's sure. good to tell people the struggle how you went for them to understand they are not alone in those struggle to succeed sure. and uh, i'm always people to tell them about what my little experience if they can learn something from it i That will be very good. I will make sure to add your LinkedIn and contact information in the channel. Uh, right. Thank you so much again for being part of the show, and I wish you the best for the future. Oh, thank you, Alu, and thank you for organizing things like that where we can share things and people can learn. I think learning is important. Thank of you course. so much. Right. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or any other medium you use. You can find more about the show at thepowerofgoodintentions.podbean.com or on Instagram on my page, Billionaires Mind Club. Thank you very much.